Hello and welcome to the Sifted podcast recorded at Dream Factory, the content creation house for startups. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor, and today I'm not joined by Eleanor because she is on holiday in her homeland. I'm joined by Aina. Aina, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, guys. Very happy to be here. I'm sadly nowhere near Eleanor's uh, level on Pokemon knowledge, but happy to be joining Amy today. Amazing. So for anyone who hasn't listened to this podcast before, we talk about what has been going on at Sifted. Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And on this podcast, we talk about the juiciest stories we've published. We chat about our opinions on what's been going on. And we bring on some of our journalists to speak about the stories that they've been out there breaking. Aina, what are we chatting about this week? So today we'll be talking about some of the spiciest news we've reported on this week, including a scoop from Scoop Machine Miriam Partington on the latest turmoil and casualties connected to speedy grocery company Gorillas. And we're going to be joined by two special guests, Jeannie and Eki Newton, who are co-founders of the startup Karma Kitchen, who will be talking about what it's like to launch a business with your sibling. And finally, we'll hear from the podcast producers, Georgina and Tim, who will be telling us about how a festival in the metaverse compares to the real life thing. This was a very, very funny piece from Georgina. So definitely hang on to listen to that. So, Amy, what's been happening at Sifted HQ this week? So the big news from Sifted HQ is that tickets are now on sale for our summit. That is our very, very exciting two-day event happening in October on the 5th and 6th in London, where we'll have multiple stages of content very focused on the operational challenges that startups and operators face. We'll be looking at some specific sectors, some of the hot and not so hot anymore things. And we'll also be doing a live podcast recording. So please check out the website. It is summit.sifted.eu and you can grab early bird tickets to save yourself a bit of cash. It would be very, very nice to see you there. Yes, listeners should definitely come along to the summit. It's going to be a banger. Now we're going to move to news. Amy, what's uh, looking good on the Sifted side at the moment? So we are in an absolute flurry of climate tech fund announcements. There were two just this week so far. There was one last week as well. And these are investment firms, VC firms, that are specifically looking to back companies that can in some way combat the climate crisis. And I think it's actually really great that we're seeing these funds be able to still raise money in the slightly more tricky economic situation we're in at the moment. And I'd like to think that shows that the investors in VCs see that climate change is really, really important. And we need to come up with some ideas to sort it out ASAP. Yeah, so I've seen these two stories. I've read them. They're great. Tell us, what is the difference between these two funds? So the two funds that announced that they've raised money this week, uh, one is called Climentum, um, which is launching an 150 million euro fund to invest in lots of hardware climate startups. But it hasn't actually told us exactly how much it's raised so far 
we're not sure about that one. And ENU, which is an 100 million euro fund, uh, which has been raised, that money is in the bank. And what's interesting about that one is that it's an evergreen fund. So it's not been raised on the usual kind of give us our money back in 10 years cycle that most VC funds are. So what ENU is saying is that that means it can back startups at kind of seed stage and it can, you know, if things are going well, it can stick with them all the way up to IPO and it could stick with them for as long as even 20 years. So a really, really long term investor. Anu also had quite a kind of strong stance on some of the things it would and wouldn't invest in. And um, one that I thought was interesting is that they strictly won't invest in anything related to the animal supply chain. So the example that they gave is that there are startups that are helping reduce the methane emission of cows, which are really bad for the planet. But they wouldn't invest even in that because they're kind of fundamentally opposed to animal agriculture and think that's not great for the world. So they just won't do that, which I think is I think it's interesting when these climate funds lay out things in quite a black and white way like that and say where the line is for them. And it is different for every fund. Was I naive to think that with the downturn, we'd be seeing fewer funds of this size? It, it seems like actually there are pretty sizable funds being announced. Yeah, I guess we don't know how, for some of them, we don't know how long they've been raising. But I guess something for any founders listening who are maybe worried to bear in mind is investors have cash and, you know, the investors in VCs have capital that they need to invest in VCs and the VCs now have capital that they need to invest in startups. So, you know, like the tap hasn't been turned off. The money is still there and it's waiting to be invested and I, I'm just quite positive about the fact that it seems to be more of it seems to be heading in the direction of these climate tech startups. And I think what will be interesting to watch over the next few years is whether they really can show some really strong returns. It's a similar thing to, we also had a piece go live on the site today about a fund which invests in underrepresented founders. So a fund called Unconventional Ventures has raised a 30 million euro fund to invest in people of colour, in female founders, in members of the LGBTQ community and I think for both the kind of new generation of climate funds and also the new generation of funds backing underrepresented founders it's kind of on their shoulders to prove that it's a good idea to invest in these areas and I for one hope that they get a stars in their grade books. So another fundraising story this week, Amy, quantum computing startup that raised some pretty chewy money. Tell us yeah, about that. So this, uh, a company called Oxford Quantum Circuits is based in the UK, as you might have guessed, has just raised £38 million in Series A funding. Some cool facts about this company uh, has a female founder and it was the biggest UK Series A in quantum. It calls itself a quantum computing as a service company. And what quantum computing as a service means is that businesses that want to access the superpowers of quantum computing, which have more processing power and can do things kind of faster and solve more complex problems than normal computers, they can have access to that without actually needing to have their own quantum computer. So it's a bit like how lots of businesses don't have their own cloud servers. They use Amazon web services which provide the kind of cloud capabilities to them the idea with oxford quantum circuits is that it will provide the quantum service power to people without them needing to get their own quantum computer brilliant well thanks amy and i'm I'm so glad that you 
had to explain quantum and not me. That would have been a disaster. <laughs> We're going to move into one last story in our news roundup. We have a scoop from Miriam Partington and freelancer Pete Carville. So, Amy, tell us the latest about what's going down at Berlin-based speedy delivery company, Gorillas. Yeah, so the latest in the Gorillas saga is that a Berlin-based company called Street Fleet, which is a job platform for delivery people, which is 100% owned by Gorillas, according to government documents that we managed to get hold of, is laying off hundreds of riders and it's also going to shut down at the end of July. And the riders who work for Street Fleet have also been protesting over the weekend about the fact that they say they haven't been paid all the money that they're owed by Street Fleet. And what did Gorillaz say about all of this? So Gorillaz says that the reason the, that Street Fleet is shutting down is because the company is changing strategic direction. So this is something that we reported on, I think we spoke about on the podcast a few weeks ago, but Gorillaz is basically focusing on the five markets where it's doing best and it says it's cutting down on things like these operational activities i guess like owning companies like street fleet it has said that it will hire i quote sizable number of street fleet riders into its own crew but it hasn't actually specified how many of them and do we have any idea of the impact this is having on on riders uh, the piece says that some of them say that they haven't been paid in three months. Yeah, so Street Fleet has had some issues with its payroll, which Gorillaz you know, ad- ad- admitted was the case to Sifted. And they said that that was partly because they were using a subcontractor. And I quote, they made a serious error in the processing of Street Fleet's riders' wages. Neither Gorillaz or Street Fleet explained to us why it took quite so long. In some instances, it was up to three months for the payments to be kind of sorted out. But some of the riders that we spoke to say that they still haven't been paid the full amount that they're owed from various months. And some of them also haven't received pay slips, they say, which makes it even harder for them to kind of actually figure out what pay they're missing. And what I think is especially sad about this story is that lots of these riders they're not german nationals and lots of them really don't have very much money left so miriam spoke to one rider called rose who said that her and her boyfriend now literally have 10 euros left in their account and they've had to ask a friend to pay their rent for them Another rider called Gurdeep, who they spoke to, said that his family had sold their home in India for him to come to Germany for his education. But because his student visa is about to run out and he's going to lose his job with Street Fleet, he might be in a position where he can't actually apply for another job and then he might have to leave the country. And we've been here before with gorillas, right? They've been criticised in the past for for not paying riders. Yeah, so complaints over delays in pay have been launched against gorillas in the past as well. There were lots of rider protests in June last year over poor working conditions. And one of the key demands they had at that time was asking to be paid fairly and on time. But some of the riders that Sifted has spoken to have said that these kind of late and missing payment problems are actually still going on now, a year later. 
And what do we think is going to happen next? What should we be looking out for now for these riders? And well, Gorillaz is obviously kind of battening down the hatches. It's putting out of these markets, you know, it's shutting down subsidiary companies like Street Fleet. It also pulled out of Belgium and it's closed its main distribution centre in the Netherlands. So it's really kind of tightening things up. The big question is still whether it will be able to raise its next round of funding, which it will definitely need very, very soon. So it's whether investors will continue to bet on this business and for our next story we're joined by two special guests Jeannie and Eki Newton who are sisters and they're not only sisters they've also founded two businesses together so their first business is called Karma Cans which is a corporate catering startup and then as a result of running Karma Cans they had the idea for their second startup which they're also still running called karma kitchen which is a kitchen space provider and between them they've raised one of the biggest rounds of funding ever from female founders in europe so pretty cool and they were featured in a piece this week by miriam about what it's like to work with your sibling is it a very very bad idea or the best idea yeah guys i I can't imagine working with my brother for instance so i'd just love to hear how did you start a company together? Why did you decide to, to work together? Hi, I'm Eki. And I'm Jeannie. We definitely didn't choose to work together. I think we just fell into it. And where we were back then is a very different place to now. So I think we were both basically doing the same role. And we would argue so much at the beginning because we were overlapping and we would fight over every single detail. And so I think now we do very separate roles. Our relationship's got a lot a lot better but it's definitely something we fell into and I always said like I'm only doing this for a year I make money and then I'm gonna go do my thing and you are also going to your own thing like interviewing in like Istanbul for these very like political roles so yeah we fell into it by accident and our working relationship was really good and after a few years of doing karma cans together about four four or five years of doing karma cans together we kind of hit on the second idea that that kind of complemented karma cans itself the corporate catering company and it was about providing space for businesses like karma cans and we both loved the idea and we're just like oh well if somebody else if somebody if we don't do this somebody else is going to do this i remember there being a point in our corporate catering days where we weren't making a lot of money. It was really, really hard. And our mom said she would make more money if you just rented out your kitchen space. And something clicked. <laughs> we were like, that's a brilliant idea. But to Maybe. her face, though, to her face, we were like, that's the worst idea we've ever heard. You're yeah, not like, giving up. You should believe in us. Believe but, in us. Um, you know, the story kind of like siblings through that is, you know, it starts as very much chaos. But I think now the first change was hiring someone external because we had to be professional. So instead of being like maybe as vocal as we used to be, we had to be very professional. And maybe it was just like a, a terrifying look that we gave each other. And now we're like years of experience. Like we I feel, really confident each other. I feel we like we even point. got to the point where we're like, we need a code word for when one of us is getting angry at the other one. Just to, I think it was like poodle or something. You know, <laughs> it didn't it didn't calm the situation down <laughs> nearly as much. Quite obvious because it's quite a random word. Like it just looks like we're crazy. You're starting to have a fight with each other in in the kitchen in the middle of service, and someone just goes poodle. <laughs> but I think that working together has helped us understand different sides of each other and really value each other's strengths a lot. I think, you know, we we both of us really value yeah. the, the good the good parts of each other. We just have learned that like, it's this 
the weird combination that we've got two businesses together and honestly like no matter what happens in the future we will always I know be starting a business together and we'll yeah. go into it together because it just is this like powerful concoction I once worked for a family company a husband and wife combination and Anytime they had an argument outside the company, you, you could sense it within the company. They brought it into the office with them. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever brought a family disagreement no, into the no. office? Definitely not that's, one that's thing a hard that line. we are pretty good at. Like yeah. anything that's personal with our family, we do not bring into the office. And we're it's, like, it's, we're very private. As much as we kind of sound, we do talk a lot. Um, we're very private with like personal stuff. So we, we that's a real rule. That's a hard line. And if I see a glimpse of like, if either of us see a glimpse of something personal coming in, we're the first to pull each other aside and say like, snap, let it go. Out of it. So guys, I was just going to ask you, so what are the key bits of advice then that you have for other siblings who maybe want to start a company? Should they have code words like poodle as well so in case things are about to kick off between them what should they be thinking about i wouldn't recommend yeah. the code word yeah i i would rec- so we actually have spoken to a few different people that have come to us to ask you know there were friends wanting to go into business also siblings and there is just one thing you really have to do is have a clear division of labor like have mm-hmm. very clear roles and make sure that they don't overlap and if you can do that and you can trust each other in doing those roles that are very different, you should actually have a way better relationship. Mm-hmm. But the, the issues is when, even to this day, if, I, if we kind of overlap in our departments, that's when the friction starts. So it's just so important to have clear I roles. Think having those clear roles and trusting someone allows you to see the value in what that person can achieve. And if you're constantly treading on each other's toes, you will never be able to let that other person blossom into someone really effective at what they do and yeah that's that's just the one one thing that is so important and so our final story today we're going to be hearing from podcast producers tim and georgina georgina had a story out this week on her experience going to a festival at the metaverse the event was called metafest and billed as the world's first ever 24-hour metaverse event put on by media agency Depth and Journey, a Berlin-based metaverse company. Meanwhile, Tim wasn't able to come on the podcast last week because he totally lost his voice at Glastonbury. So we thought we'd get them to compare the world's biggest festival in the field to one of the biggest festivals in the metaverse to date. Here's Tim and G. So what's up, G? How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. Have you recovered from your experience in the Metaverse Festival yet? Does it come with a big hangover like real life festivals? I have recovered. Not that I have had a big hangover. All in all, it was very, very tame, as you can imagine. So I did not get the pounding headache like I did when I went to an actual festival like three weeks ago. Yeah, I guess it's worth saying that you actually have been recently to real life festivals as well. But yeah, I'm not like a digital only avatar. Yes. But yeah, we thought it would be fun to compare real life and metaverse festivals because I was at Glastonbury this year, which you threw quite a lot of shade at in the article, which I'm going to put down mostly to jealousy. Is that fair? I was about to say, it's definitely jealousy because I definitely tried to get tickets to Glastonbury and I definitely could not. So, 
But yeah, maybe we can talk about some of the advantages and disadvantages because reading your piece, I really enjoyed it. It was very funny. And yeah, there were some interesting parallels. So one of the worst things about going to Glastonbury is getting into the festival. It's like such a big site. I don't, can't remember how many acres it is, but it's hundreds. And there's this kind of huge surrounding perimeter of car parks you might be like an hour long walk away from the entrance of the festival. You've got to carry all your tents or your drinks or your food. And like I got into the festival having completely fallen out with my best mate who I had to camp with for the rest of the week. And we did make up, but it's not the best time. So how, tell me how it was getting into the Metaverse Festival. What does that involve? You know, it was very easy. And I also feel your pain because obviously I went to a festival a few weeks ago and it was one of those things where it was so much fun, but I kept saying to my friends, like, camping is such an unbelievable faff. So, like, if you could just have the actual good parts of the festival without the shit bits, it would be a dream. So I kind of was curious with this, like, Metaverse Festival, like, if they'd be able to get anywhere close. But it was, yeah, it was really easy to get into, first of all. It was, like, quite a cool interface. It was basically just a web browser. I didn't need a VR headset or anything like that. And it was sort of this like cool early 2000s Windows interface where you could kind of click around and there was like a radio playing some kind of like douchey house music and um, which, you know, set the vibe. And then you could actually click into the metaverse, quote unquote. So once you kind of got in there, you created your character. I dressed like a bunny and then you're kind of like set free and you could sort of roam this little virtual festival ground. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because that's something that can be a bit also stressful at festivals is the outfit choices. I feel like I've sort of got over <laughs> there now and just wear like a black T-shirt and shorts. But you are surrounded by people wearing the most incredible stuff, which can make you feel quite boring, but not yeah. so with your outfit choice. Yeah, you went for the pink bunny look. So I guess that's quite fun being able to like pick your avatar and like be whoever you want to be. It was cool. I would say that it was very, it was very basic. It was, I mean, there wasn't that many outfits to choose from. And like half of the women's outfits were obviously like too sexy that I like, didn't want to dress like a weird, like, I don't know, Athena on a horse for like this work thing. An over-sexualized um, Athena. Yeah, exactly. Well, there, there wasn't like also too much variation in terms of like body type. Cause it was basically like a Sims interface where you could kind of like click, you know, add your different hair, skin color, things like that. But there was not a lot of, like, there wasn't a full range of, you know, customization, which, you know, is not the most inclusive thing. But I also think, you know, for something that's just generated for a 24-hour festival, I, I imagine they wouldn't want to make it too over the top. Yeah, and like, so another quite stressful thing about Glastonbury is that there's 200,000 people there. How many people would you estimate were at your festival? Okay, so I reached out to... Marianne Strathoff, who's the global head of marketing at Dept, and she said that they had over 12,500 people registered for the event. Obviously, that's not attendees, but it's still like a significant chunk of people. It also, one thing I would say is that like in the actual festival itself, I think this works as both like a, a pro and a con. It felt a little sparse in a lot of parts. Obviously, this is according to the press release again, the world's first 24-hour metaverse festival. So we're going to have people across time zones coming on at different times, things like that. But it also did feel a bit sparse. You were kind of a bit like off on your own for a lot of it, which, you know, also at a festival, one of the worst parts, one of the best and worst parts is that you're kind of like in a sweaty crowd, like 
just, yeah, sweating all over people and you have glitter on you at the end and you don't know where it came from and, and whatever. So it was a bit more loneliness. But yeah, I mean, I guess we should come on to like what actually happens at the Metaverse Festival that you were at because I guess it's maybe slightly unfair to compare it to Glastonbury's. It wasn't like live music. Like what what was going on? Yeah, so, and like, to be totally fair, there was really, really cool talks that were scheduled throughout the day. There was a lot of different screens. So like a lot of the point of this is basically you could navigate around to these different stages. You could kind of like use your arrow keys to like waddle up to the little stages. And once you got close enough, then all of a sudden you would see within the screen, a screen showing the event like you would at a at a conference, like a big sort of like blow up of people like on a panel or whatever. Um, and it was really well done. Like there was a lot of really cool speakers there. There was the editor in chief of Wired UK. There was like lots of others that I'm forgetting their names now. And that was really cool. I think there's never going to be, in my opinion, an instance where virtual music is as cool as live music, because that's the whole point of why you go to a concert. But in terms of events, this was a lot cooler than just a basic webinar. So yeah. it sounds as if, yeah, on the whole, you thought that it wasn't a bad way of holding an online event if it was going to be about talks and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it was quite cool. It was also, I'd say it was really beautifully designed. They did a really good job of that. There was definitely parts that were a bit naff, like the dance floor was really weird. It was just basically like a lot of avatars kind of silently moshing next to each other all in sync. <laughs> Beyond that, it was interesting. I would say that I would definitely go to another one I think one thing that people complain about the metaverse still is obviously that just the tech's not there yet, even in terms of hardware. So like VR goggles, things like that. So there's obviously things that like need to be improved before it's actually can compete with IRL events. But I'd say it was quite cool. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that you picked up on is that all this stuff, the tech needs to get there and it inevitably will. So much money's going into this. But Really, it will be about the content. And if you want to go and see a talk from, you know, the editor of Wired UK, then that's cool. And, you know, you wouldn't go to Glastonbury if they booked your mother-in-law as the headliner. So it's as much about what's in the metaverse as it is what the metaverse is, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. So in summary, do you think that this, as someone who in the article said that your bones are too creaky and that your hangovers last for too many days to go to real festivals for that much longer. Do you think this is going to suppress your desire to be in a sort of a heaving, sweaty crowd getting covered in other people's glitter? Or do you think that these two things are never going to really be out competing each other? To be honest, no, I think, I think there will always be a part of me that's a bit feral that likes being in a sweaty crowd and getting glitter all over me. I know that there obviously have been, like Charlie XCX just did a big Metaverse concert, which I'm sure is quite cool, but I still would be curious as to who would rather that than an, a live physical event. The bottom line, Jeez, is that this is not for us millennials. This is for Gen Z, who are too scared of escaping from their screens to go to a real festival. Exactly. So it's not for I, us. I think that's the takeaway. This episode of the Sifted Podcast was recorded in Dream Factory, a content creation house for startups based in Shoreditch. They've very kindly offered Sifted readers a discount code, which gives you £300 off the £3,000 yearly membership, all you need to do is quote Sifted 300 when you book a tour or apply for membership. If you want to hear more about what's unfolding in the world of European tech and startups, find our coverage on sifted.eu. 
You can also find all articles mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. And do not forget to check out our new event. It's at summit.sifted.eu. The speakers include very exciting people like Dame Jessica Ennis-Hill, not just an amazing athlete, also the co-founder of a startup now, Kinga Stanislawska, who is one of the best VCs in Europe to listen to about why it's important to have more female investors and more female founders getting funded. And we have Tim Gilliams, the CEO and co-founder of Helix, which is a very, very cool company finding ways to treat very, very rare diseases. They are just a handful of the, I think, 50 plus speakers we've already confirmed. So check them out on the website. And follow us on Twitter. We are Sifted EU. Uh, let us know what you think of the Sifted podcast or email hello at sifted.eu and join us next Thank week. Thank you very much, Aina. And bye bye, listeners. Thank you very much, guys.